Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to cover a few bits of Austin FC news. And we're also going to have an interview with Sam Stasekel of The Athletic and of Allocation Disorder. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the Austin FC roster build, uh, since Sam is kind of an expert on on uh, MLS roster rules. And we're also going to take the opportunity to ask him about the current state of CBA negotiations between MLS and the Players Association. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentling. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Um, Landon, I want to spend a couple minutes talking about another podcast, which I think is okay. I don't know what the podcasting rules are, but... Is it a, competi- a, a competitor? Well, there is there is no competition. I mean, we're, we're, we're no competition <laughs> for this one. How about that? <laughs> for sure. But uh, so a couple months ago, we were talking about shows and um, we listened. I recommended that we listen to the uh, Freddie Adu podcast, which is called American Prodigy by Grant Wall. Yeah, that's right. So have you checked it all out now? I, I think I I think there's like a final episode I still haven't listened to. Um, so I haven't listened to that one, but I listened to the rest of it and really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was interesting. Th- that last one is where, so we get to the end, you you get to hear from like Freddie Adu today and, you know, he's like never admitted or he's never retired really, right? I mean, he's no, he's not playing anymore, but um, as the show's going on, they find this team in Sweden that uh, that wants him to come do a tryout and so they can come play for him. It's like that last episode is sort of about 31-year-old Freddie's experience, but um, what'd you think overall about it? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I knew the general Freddie Adu story, um, but I, I think this this podcast made me think a little bit differently about it and like went into some of the details that probably, I would say most, probably even people who are paying really close attention at the time would probably not know if, if, unless they had intentionally gone back and read into it more. Were, were there any specific things that you took away from it? Yeah, I was just fascinated by him being a 14 year old kid and maybe because my age, I never really, at the time, I never, never really thought about this, but just that kind of pressure. That, that, you know, the league where it was 20-something years ago, um, kind of floundering, and to take, you know, to take, like, to put that kind of pressure on a kid to be, like, the face of the league in terms of production, in terms of promotion, you know, and all those things. I just think about, you know, when I was that age. I mean, what were you doing when, when you were 14? And I was, like, a freshman in high school, and I cannot imagine yeah, making ads with Pele and filling... JV filling the, basketball. Yeah. Yeah, having to wait the league <laughs> on my back, and so you can kind of understand where maybe things went, a, you know, a little wrong. Um, and I think about how differently that would go today, you know, with, with the prodigies that we have, but they just don't have the same kind of expectation. Yeah. One of the things that, that they bring up in the, in the podcast is, and this is Grant Wall, by the way, I don't think we mentioned that, but Grant Wall's great at what he does and like kind of, he made his name on writing those long form magazine pieces. Right. And so this kind of, fits his style very well and he does a really great job but one of the things that they bring up is um just the like what would things have been different if freddie instead of being the star of mls would have gone to a european team where he would have just been just one of one of many really promising young players because he he was very good and like stood out in youth tournaments but in like say the Barcelona Academy or like a big European Academy, there would have been a lot of kids who could have competed with him or probably better than him at the time. And you you fast forward into kind of the state of the league now, and we're we're seeing those lessons learned, right? So like a player like Weston McKinney, who you could say he's one of the best products that an MLS Academy has ever turned out, and he never played in MLS. So right. he, he left before that happened to go and be in that environment where he could just be a kid and like like be part of an, an academy where other kids were going to push him to be better. And Freddie Adu didn't get that opportunity. He was expected to be the star when he was a teenager. Yeah, not only that, when he when he should have been developing, he was like making TV commercials. So it's just you you can see how it turned out. And I think he I felt like he had a pretty good attitude about it. Um, I think yeah. Like, the thing Grant Wall talks about is, I guess Freddie had turned down all these opportunities over the years to tell his story, and for, for whatever reason, Grant kind of convinced him to do it, and he was he was engaging. You can see why he was like a big personality. Yeah, absolutely, very very charming and very charismatic for sure. But uh, yeah, it's I, I I think it's it's good to hear that he's like that he's okay and he doesn't really look at it. He doesn't look at himself as a cautionary tale, which is good. <laughs> 
All right, well, let's um, let's transition into our interview with Sam School. So most of you listening to this are going to know who Sam is. He writes for The Athletic, um, also does a podcast with Paul Tenorio called Allocation Disorder, which covers uh, roster rules and kind of transfer mechanisms in MLS. So we, we've... We've referenced that show many times on this show, and we'll oftentimes just point listeners to go listen to that instead so that you don't have to listen to us bumble through some of the complicated <laughs> bits. So uh, Sam is is really great at what he does, so we're very excited to have him on the show, and so uh, we hope you guys enjoy this interview. We are joined today by Sam Stageco of The Athletic. Sam, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, we wanted to talk to you about a few topics, but mainly since since you're one of the experts on MLS roster rules and, and things of the like, we wanted to just kind, of, kind of get uh, just kind of your general overview of, of Austin FC's roster build so far. Yeah, so I think it's... It's had some positive signs, but I still think it's missing its biggest pieces for the most part. Um, obviously, there's one designated player on the books in Cecilia Dominguez. Uh, that means there's two designated player spots still open. Um, and, you know, I spoke with Claudio Reyna, the sporting director. Jeez, when was this? Back in November, or just late November, early December. And, and he told me then that he anticipated that Austin would be in the top third in MLS in spending. And that usually goes along with some pretty big moves at the DP spot. And, and Dominguez is a, is a highly rated player. He's a guy that, you know, talking to different scouts and technical directors and GMs around MLS uh, is pretty well regarded in around the league. Um, but, you know, they're, like I said, they're still missing a couple of, of different pieces. I really like Alex Ring um, as a midfielder. I thought that was a pretty big acquisition. They, they paid a pretty penny for him. Um, but he's a really solid player. Uh, Nick Lima is another one. Um, Matt Beasler, I'm interested in. Um, he did not play, did not play very much last year. But in terms of an expansion team, right, having somebody that's been through every possible scenario in MLS on the international level um, is a good guy in the locker room, uh, and will you know be able to help bring guys along. That's important. It's not just on field stuff. And I think Beasley will be plenty motivated to, you know, prove that he's still got something left in the tank after what we saw last season in Kansas City. Yeah, so I, um, Garth Lagerway was on Extra Time last week. And one of the things that, that he mentioned that I thought stood out in thinking about an Austin FC roster build was he mentioned that the the domestic core of an MLS team is going to set the floor for how good that team can be. So like you said, there are right. still some... I think the pieces that are missing is what's is what's going to determine our ceiling. But do you think that that floor has been set at a decent level so far? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I am slightly concerned about the back line. It really does depend a lot on Beasley right now. It feels like, um, which is you know a bit a bit concerning just given the year he had last year. But you know, if you look at if you look at the other pieces, it's a bunch of known quantities in MLS even guys that maybe won't be starting like uh, Diego Fagundes or Kakuta Mane. Um, you know, I mentioned Nick Lima, Ben Sweat wasn't great last year for Miami, but he has had some really good years in MLS. Um, it's guys, it's, it's similar to what Nashville did last year, right? Where nothing is really jumping off the page and wowing you necessarily, but it's, it's just kind of solid all around. Um, I think Austin has some steps to go to get to where Nashville was last year especially because I think the West is generally stronger than, than the East, which Nashville was supposed to not be in last year, but ended up <laughs> in. Um, so, you know, like I said, some steps to go, but there's still a little bit of time left and maybe a lot of time left, depending on how things go here over the next yeah. few days. Yeah. Uh, so Tom Bogert tweeted the other day um, that since February 1st, 2020, or sorry, um, Designated players signed by February 1st in 2020 was 15. And then designated players signed by February 1st in 2021 so far was uh, one or two, one of those being Cecilio Dominguez. So I think here in Austin, we've been a little bit impatient waiting for that second designated player. But looking at the rest of the market, it seems like the whole 
the whole MLS transfer market, as far as incoming ones, has been quite slow. I know it's likely to do with the pandemic, but can you point out some of the exact reasons why that has been the case? Like what exactly is causing the the delay in some of these inbound transfers? I mean, I think you said it. I don't know if it's a delay as much as like a freeze. Um, and it's mostly due to the pandemic. The market's down everywhere around the world. Uh, teams don't want to spend that much money. Um, I haven't gone and looked at like, okay, how many DP spots were available this year compared to last year? Right, yeah. Um, you know, that would be a factor in this. Um, but I would anticipate that it's mostly teams don't want to spend that much money. There's also a new bucket of money that while not yet official, looks like it's going to be coming into the league. And that's like this under 22 initiative. Um, so you've seen teams like Chicago, for instance, who signed three designated players last year and didn't have, you know, any spots available to do that this year. Um, so maybe there's, maybe there's one, one situation right there, you know, fewer DP spots available. Um, they went out and signed a 17 year old from Columbia, but they spent a pretty significant transfer fee on he doesn't count as a designated player, but he counts most likely under this new U22 initiative where you can, that allows teams to go out and spend significant transfer fees on a guy um, and then cap his wages around 600000 depending on the season, could rise up. Um, and maybe that player would have been a DP in past years, and now he doesn't need to count as one. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if Rodney Reyes ended up in that category as well um, once, once everything's set and done. Yeah. So speaking of kind of specialty roster spots, one thing that was kind of a mystery uh, among Austin fans was the number of senior roster spots that Austin FC has. By just kind of our calculations, we were guessing that we had filled maybe 17 or 18 of those spots after the Kakutamande signing. But uh, and Chris Bill's interview with Claudio Reyna last week confirmed, uh, Claudio confirmed that we have four senior roster spots left um, and said that we have the flexibility to move five of those move to, to like to create more of them essentially. But um, we had no idea where those other ones were coming from looking at the Austin FC roster so far. Do you have any idea how we still have four and how Claudio might be thinking of creating more if he needed to? Yeah. So it's hard to say definitively because we don't know how much money these guys are making Usually the MLS Players Association puts out salary numbers every year. They did not do that last year. Um, not really sure why. Never got a great answer for that. <laughs> um, but when you look at the roster, you know, I think it's conceivable that, oh man, Danny Pereira is for sure right. not on the senior roster. Um, I think it's conceivable that Redis, Rodney Redis, wouldn't be on the roster. I, I would Like maybe he's one of the five um, that could be converted perhaps. Maybe Johan Romagna. Um, I, I would expect Brady Scott would be in the group, not on the senior roster. Uh, Brady young. Scott was taken in the expansion draft, though. So wouldn't he? There, have look to at you, be... schooling me on, on, <laughs> on, on, on we, this. Um, we've looked a lot at this, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he could potentially, I stand corrected then. Maybe Jared Stroud. Um, Stroud was also expansion draft. Yeah, he uh, was, wasn't he? All right. So, John John Gallagher was Never the mind. only one that I was looking at that I thought. John Gallagher, be. but you know, I, I I looked at him in 2019. He was on the senior roster for Atlanta. I don't know what he was last year because MLS has the the website hasn't has taken him off the 2020 roster for Atlanta, right. unfortunately. So there's no way to know. Um, so who knows? I mean, I'm not entirely sure. Every team, for those uninitiated, every team gets 20 senior roster spots. They have to use between 18 and 20. Um, and those are the spots that count towards your salary cap. Um, the the rest of the spots, the supplemental spots, the reserve roster spots, those are off-budget players. Um, so those guys do not count towards the cap, and there are different kind of qualifications that have to be met in order to be a, be on those rosters. Yeah, given that they they take um, they selected a goalkeeper in the super draft, we were curious if maybe they would be thinking about sending Brady Scott on loan so he could get some games. Um, and that would create that extra spot, but who knows? We'll, we'll find out soon enough, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. I was gonna say, it's such a weird part of being a fan that it's something I didn't know anything about at all. It's just how this stuff works. So like I was a Liverpool fan up until two years ago and nothing else. Like that was really easy to figure out, but MLS roster rules are special and unique. And I think everybody's learning all the time about it. Yeah. 
they're always changing. They're always throwing new wrinkles in. Uh, it keeps me busy for sure. And as you guys can, can see, I don't always remember all of them off the top of my head. Um, but you know, it's kind of people, people do like to like, be like, Oh my God, MLS roster rules are so complicated. So complex. They are right. And especially in the world of soccer, in the world of North American sports, it's not that different than really any of the NBA, MLB, NFL, et cetera. Um, all of those leagues have their different idiosyncrasies and, and eccentricities um, that, you know, are foreign languages, unless you're following closely. And MLS is the same way. So going back to the uh, the topic of DP signings or potential DP signings, there's been a rumor of Tomas Pochettino from Argentina potentially signing with Austin FC soon. Do you do you have any information that like might give validity or to, to that rumor? Do you think that's legitimate or or what do you think um, about that one? I mean, I don't have any special insight, unfortunately. I wish I could break some news on the podcast for you guys, but no. <laughs> um, I mean, Argentina has been a market that MLS teams have signed out of really heavily uh, in recent years and, and pretty significantly for almost a decade now, really. Um, so it's well trodden, it's well trotted ground. Um, it's, it's a place that Claudio Reyna will certainly be familiar with. You know, he's, he's got a uh, heritage from Argentina, um, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, it's a place where they've, he's signed players out of before, uh, with NYCFC, that, that region, Argentina, Uruguay. Um, so it would make sense. It's a market that's, you know, that's, that's flush. It's known. Um, and it's a place that, you know, you don't really have to go in and sell MLS necessarily. They know what they're getting into when they're coming to the league. Right. Um, so yeah, it would make a lot of sense from that perspective. Um, unfortunately I do not have any special unique insight into that potential move. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about the CBA a little bit. So I know you guys, what are you, the, the world's leading labor negotiation podcast? Is that your new new tagline (laughs) for it? I guess just at you know, at the overall level, do you like talking about the CBA? Do you hate it? Like, is it, <laughs> is it something you're into? Is it a necessary evil? How do you feel about it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I kind of like it. I, and that kind of makes me feel weird. I feel like I shouldn't. I feel like I should be way more sick of it than I am. It's good drama, I guess. It's a good story. And it's like, you know, owners versus players and they're squaring off and there's this big showdown coming on Thursday night, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, I like covering the power structures involved in American soccer and especially in MLS. Uh, and I like the fact that MLS is sort of like, I like that it's figuring it out as it goes and that it's trying to sort of like, it's essentially this puzzle and they're trying to find a solution for it. And sometimes I wish that the puzzle had much different boundaries and that they blew the whole thing up and totally reimagined it. <laughs> a lot of times I wish that. Um, but they're trying right now to figure out how to kind of like rearrange. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I think it's this particular negotiation is rather opportunistic on the part of the owners. Um, but I think the dynamic is interesting as well. And I'm really curious to see what the players do if they decide to, to hold firm if they decide to give and, and agree to extend the CBA for two years as the owners are wanting. Um, but we'll see. Uh, the, the one thing with MLS and labor disputes that is different than the NFL or NBA, the salaries just aren't as high for the, for the average MLS player. I think the median salary was something like 180000 in 2019. And that's certainly not peanuts. I would gladly be paid that much money a year. Um, but, uh, there are many guys, 50% of the league makes less than that. Right. And, and even the guys that are making that much money, if they have a mortgage and two kids at home, you know, they're having to pay the bills every month. And how long can you sustain without a paycheck? Uh, it becomes difficult after a month, two months, three months. And that always gives the advantage to the owners, uh, in terms of leverage, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, if they can last a couple of months, maybe vaccinations are at a place where the world is opening up a little bit and maybe that changes the dynamic. Who knows, right? But um, yeah, I guess to answer your original question, I, I do like covering the CBA, even though, you know, I, I do, you know, three times in a year is kind of a lot. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
on on the theme of uh of your podcast turning into something that you didn't expect it to back in like was it 2018 jeremiah when we started podcasting regularly together we we did a we ran a podcast for one of the supporters groups in town and it was like in the uh like the city council battles of austin <laughs> fc trying to exist and so we used to joke that we were a beer and politics podcast and then eventually we got to like become a soccer podcast in the last year it's or funny so, it's but, funny yeah, what we, you learn about and what you become an expert on right <laughs> oh god yeah I've, I've had people in town like call and ask like ask advice on how to contact certain city council members <laughs> for completely unrelated things because they know that I was paying such close That's attention awesome. and I was, I was like actually able to help them I was like oh this one's really active on social media and this one you should email and this one's not gonna <laughs> not gonna respond at all <laughs> all that hard work finally getting a finally getting a reward out of it right That's, uh, that's yeah. Fantastic. yeah and we're really happy to be talking mostly about soccer now too and not quite as much about city council but I guess so for those folks who are listening who are not super engaged in all this as of right now on monday february 1st and hopefully still mm -hmm. on tuesday morning like where do we stand cba wise yeah so i'll wind it back a little bit um the league invoked force majeure the force majeure clause which allowed them to bring the players back to the table they invoked that in late december they made an offer on january 5th the players didn't respond until january 22nd um the league i think countered that 24th through the 25th and imposed, you know, this deadline had been imposed by the commissioner of after 30 days after the invocation of force majeure, you know, that's the hard deadline. If there's no agreement by then, at that point, we have the legal right to rip up the CBA. And if you rip up the CBA, you're basically going to lock the players out. So the players made a final counteroffer or not a final counteroffer, but a final counteroffer before that deadline. Um, at 2 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. The deadline was supposedly 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday night, although there was some confusion over the exact timing of it, even among the <laughs> players' union. It wasn't really spelled out to them, which was kind of bizarre. Um, <laughs> it just sort of goes to show the arbitrary nature of said deadline. <laughs> um, and then the league on Friday morning, after the deadline had passed, announced that it was not accepting that offer, but that it was extending negotiations until this Thursday night, February 4th at 11.59 p.m. I think I got all those dates right. They've been seared into my brain here um, over the last <laughs> month or whatever it's been. Um, but apologies if I got any, any of those incorrect. I was just going straight off the top. So, <laughs> is, But that's the broad strokes at any rate. Is it Eastern this time? Do we do we feel sure that you'll know? Like I, yes, I saw you, yes. I saw you on that Twitter. That was in the league announcement. It. Yeah. it was in the league announcement this time. And and basically the, the difference, I, I haven't even gotten to the important part, the sticking point of these negotiations. Um, the league wants to extend the CBA by two years through 2027. The players, their first counteroffer, didn't even account for extending through 2026. The league countered that counter and said, basically didn't budge. It's they're maintaining salaries at their current levels, 100% of their level in 2021, extend the CBA by two years. Um, the players then came back that that last counter offer that I referred to that they made last Thursday, it extended through 2026. Um, it had some salary, some decreases to the proposed salary cap. Um, for most of the years through 2026 and some other kind of more uh, minute, not minute, but more in the weeds uh, details and changes as well. So that's where things currently stand. As far as we know, they have been talking. Um, I think they spoke yesterday and on Friday. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, but yeah, they're, they're heading towards that 11.59 PM Eastern showdown Thursday night. We'll see. And another thing that y'all talked about on Friday was like whether would the owners be willing to sit the whole year out, um, which is something I yeah. think we find kind of disturbing in Austin. Um, but what's <laughs> what's your perspective on that? Well, I understand why you would find it disturbing in Austin. Um, from what I've been told, Austin did have the option to push uh, to 2022, like Charlotte. Um, it chose not to. Um, so I don't know if that's public or not. I think it probably is, but maybe not. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, I don't think the owners would be willing to sit out the whole year. Uh, I think a lockout of a couple of months wouldn't impact them all that much in terms of blowback, in terms of perception, and in terms of ability to build 
towards some important dates in the future. I think locking out for an entire season would be, it would cross a threshold where it would be really hard, a lot harder to come back from and it would cause real damage. Um, so I, I don't think that that's something that's going to happen. I don't think that's that'll be beneficial for anybody involved. Um, the players want to play, they want to get paid. Um, and I don't think the owners will want to have a lockout for a whole year for those reasons I just mentioned. So unless something, you know, unless things get really much worse than they are now, even, I don't see that happening. Do you, do you think it's a possibility that the owners are kind of gunning for a lockout? Do they like, do they want one to happen? I think that's kind of a strong way of putting it. Um, I think there are some advantages to having a lockout from the owner perspective. Um, and I don't think everyone, all of the owners would be necessarily united on this. I'm guessing Anthony Precourt wants to get things going ASAP. Um, but, you know, if you're talking about, if you're an owner of, of an MLS team and you can save, say, two months of salary in a lockout, you can start the season in June, mid-June. You can play a higher percentage of games uh, in front of fans. And, you know, when you're opening your stadium, you're actually bringing money in. It's more likely. Um, and like I said, I don't think the PR blowback or the public perception, I don't think those hits would be that, that big in the grand scheme of things. If it was a short stoppage like that, um, then yeah, I think there's some advantages to that. If you're an owner, you're saving on costs, right? You're potentially bringing in more revenue. Um, and, and the, the blowback in terms of perception maybe wouldn't be that bad, so I think that there are some advantages there, um, but you run the risk, right? Like there's no guarantee that the stoppage would only be two months. So if you're doing it for four or five, then you're getting into a problem area. But I do think that there would be some advantages to a lockout for owners. Yeah. Do, do you read anything to, into like uh, the short-term loan announcements that have come out like today, um, like DK from Orlando or Ariola? Does that send any signal to, should we expect a lockout or are those just random events i wouldn't say they're random um i don't know if it's necessarily level of expect the lockout uh, i think it's teams kind of covering their bases and trying to do right by individual players um in the case of you know Ariola and dk right like it's two players that could go over to england who don't really have much of a market right now in terms of like, okay, we're going to come in and buy this guy for multiple millions of dollars. But if they go over there and they perform in five months and, and do well in the championship, then maybe there's real interest and you can make some money, right? So there's there's upside to putting them kind of in the shop window. Uh, same with Jordan Morris. I think they, Seattle could have sold him now, but they could sell him for a lot more if he goes over to Swansea and does well. Um, right. Brian Rodriguez, who, who's heading to the second division in Spain, same thing. Um, so I think there's some upside there. Um, it's an easy deal to pull off because I think most, if not all of those that I just mentioned probably are free loans where the teams are only covering the wages. Um, and then even if there's not a lockout, right. And the season starts on April 3rd, like MLS is planning for most of these guys would be finishing the champ, the, the guys that go to the championship, the championship season, if their team doesn't make the playoffs, it ends on May 8th. So it's not like they'd be missing a huge portion of the MLS season. They'd be gone for about a month. Um, now, all of those guys would presumably be involved in, in national team camps as well. So they'd be missing other games down the road. Um, but it's not like they're they're gone for half the year or something like that. It's, it's probably three or four games. So um, I think it makes sense in a lot of ways. Uh, and then if you do have a lockout, <laughs> well, there are uh, three or four fewer players that are really, really mad at you and maybe just kind of annoyed. So looking back at uh, an expansion team like Austin FC, what could what could some of the potential effects of a lockout be on an expansion team? Yeah, so, I mean, huge, right? Like, well, actually, let me take that back. I think it could, it all depends on how long it is, right? So I don't know when exactly they're going to be able to open the stadium. The sense I got when I've spoken to Andy Lochnane is probably not until May, late May or June, kind of. A yeah, theory. they've been saying June in, yeah. in more recent interviews. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, it, if it's June and the season starts in June, 
well, then it's not like a death blow or anything like that, right? People will still be excited to see the first game. People will still be excited to, you know, I think down there in Texas, you guys are allowed to go to sporting events. So people will be excited to go in person um, you, to the first game. Yeah, but you have to bring guns, like three or four, at least. For Texas. <laughs> yeah, wear them around your mouth and nose. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, people will still get excited for that stuff. Now, if it goes until September, right, then that's a major issue for Austin. Um, and, and launching during a pandemic, you know, even with limited capacity, it's not exactly an ideal situation. It's not what you would pick out for your expansion team launch. Um, so I think maybe that mitigates the, effect, the effects of, the, of a potential lockout, maybe, since it's already less than ideal. I don't know. But um, it could be big. And the thing that I'm curious about right now is, is this having an impact on their recruitment of players, right? And I would love to be able to pick Claudio Reyna's brain on that one and just kind of be like, hey, like, you know, Pochettino, like you mentioned. Um, right. Is that a deal that maybe would have been done if not for this potential work stoppage? Because if any of these guys have an agent worth a damn, they understand what's going on and they're not going to want to bring a guy to a league that might not be paying its players starting on Thursday for who knows how long. Yeah, um, Pochettino's agent's probably saying, let's wait until after 11.59 Eastern yeah. on Thursday. So, I, you would hope anyway. If not, then, you know, he shouldn't be getting as much of a commission as he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have any other CBA questions, Jeremiah? No, I feel like we've covered it as much as people are willing to listen to it and, you know, knowing it's going to change two days after this comes out. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I had a question from our, our new colleague. So our, our podcast just joined uh, with the Striker Texas, which is, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much you've heard about that, but uh, Texas soccer website, essentially. And John Arnold from Dallas is going to be <laughs> writing for them. So we uh, we posted a question in the Striker Slack to see if anybody had any oh, what CBA questions for you. <laughs> and he told us, I'm, I'm kind of nervous to ask because I have no idea what this means, but he told us to ask you about Grand Champion. Grand Champion. Oh, my God. Legendary. Um, you know, I wish that I could divulge all of the details of Grand Champion. Just know that it's a, an exciting new format that will never, ever, ever be put into place in any league, anywhere. But <laughs> if it was, my goodness, soccer would be the biggest sport in America. <laughs> It involves, right. it's a complex promotion relegation scheme involving two divisions and grow, they grow depend on, as time goes on and more teams get relegated into one. And then once you have two teams in the top division, right, they play in a, a full season of a grand champion final. And <laughs> uh, then there's only one team left standing and that team is the grand champion. And there are like 19 or however, 26 teams in the second division and then the winner of that goes back up and then the process kind of reverses itself. So you end with 26 and one in the second and 26 in the first. I'm sorry. Everyone here is dumber for having listened to that. But <laughs> I don't even know if I explained it correctly. You, it was a long time ago. <laughs> how do you guys come up with that? Um, you know, just a few beers and uh, too much time on your hands. And a can-do attitude. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, tell our listeners where they can find your work. I imagine most yeah. of our listeners know where to find your work, but just in case. Well, they can find my work at theathletic.com. Um, thank you for subscribing if you do already. And if you don't, well, then you're not a grand champion. Let's put it mildly. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Sam Stasekel. Uh, you can figure out how to spell that yourself. And uh, I do a podcast with my colleague, Paul Tenorio, um, Allocation Disorder, the world's foremost um, labor relations podcast that one's on the total soccer show feed so there you go that's where you can find me all right awesome well thanks again for taking the time sam this is great yeah thanks so much for having me out you guys yeah thanks sam talk to you later moon tower soccer is brought to you by our friends at fvf law the official injury lawyers of austin fc FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. 
You can go to fvf.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that is fvf.law. We also want to invite you to check out the Strikers 2021 Texas Soccer Summit. It's a free four-day virtual event talking all things soccer from MLS to the youth ranks to everything in between, along with big-name guests from the clubs you know and love. Landon, who are some of those big-name guests? Yeah, so they've announced some of them already, and I think there's going to be more to come. But uh, FC Dallas coach Luchi Gonzalez, MLS referee Ismail Elfath, uh, MLS and American soccer legend Jimmy Conrad. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's going to be more, more guests announced over the next few days. So it it sounds like a really cool event and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So that's going to take place February 10th to February 13th. And you can register for free at texassoccersummit.com. We want to thank Sam Stay School once again for taking the time to come on the show and chat with us for a little bit. Um, Jeremiah, one of the things that we talked to Sam about was the Tomas Pochettino rumors. Uh, so Tomas Pochettino is a Argentinian player, plays for Talleres de Córdoba. Uh, and so this started with a an Argentinian uh, media personality, Cesar Luis Merlot, and he tweeted that – his tweet said essentially that it's done, right? Yeah, it said it was done. Well, well, first of all, it was interesting because this tweet came out like while we were wrapping up recording last week, <laughs> and we and we had a moment where there was like excitement all over text and Slack, and we didn't, you know, didn't know what to how to react, but decided to wait a week, which turned out to probably be a good decision. But yeah, he said it was done, um, and then it, it cre- I think it created a little bit of controversy online because the report was we had beat River Plate out um, to recruit him, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, some of the like big clubs in South America were, were trying to get him. And yeah, that's, that's what the rumor was, is that he chose Austin over us. Um, like we mentioned in the interview with Sam, that may be, be like the holdup with that may be the CBA negotiations. So if, uh, if we see a CBA agreement made in the next few days, maybe that signing gets announced shortly after, but we'll just have to wait and see. Um, so what do we know about him as a player? I mean, stats wise, he's not, overwhelming but i mean i think did you watch like a youtube video or something i know you haven't seen a lot of it but what? yeah I, I haven't dug into the y scout footage yet i i'm kind of we, we've done that for players before and then ended up not signing them so <laughs> i'm kind of waiting on that but uh i did watch there's some youtube highlight clips floating around and i i think one of the reasons maybe why his stats aren't super impressive on paper is that the kind of passer he is, uh, he he's going to make the pass before the pass, if that makes sense. So it, it seems like his strength is kind of longer balls, long diagonal passes out to the wing, things like that. Um, he looks like he plays like kind of a box to box midfielder. Maybe I think in in Wolf system he would be uh, an eight, maybe sitting a little bit in front of Alex Ring. So kind of we talked about Danny Pereira last week. I think probably in a similar position to what Pereira would play. Um, so yeah, I, I think he would fit well into a wolf system. Just, he seems good on the ball, a really strong passer. Um, I, I do think we're still lacking kind of that, that main creative force in the attack. Um, he, he is a very skilled player, but I don't think he's like the guy and seeing kind of the play, like, if if this does come to fruition, if we do end up signing him, I'm thinking the setup is probably going to be something, um, maybe something similar to like what you see with LAFC, where there's not really like a, a proper number ten. It's that four three three where all of the midfielders work really hard and do a lot of work, and then your creative play comes from the wing. And so that Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi system where like those guys are cutting inside and kind of acting as your your nominal number 10 and kind of being that playmaker. So maybe that's what we're going for, but we still need that guy because we don't really we don't really have it yet. So it'll be interesting to see. But uh, I'm I'd be excited to see a player like this get signed just because it seems like an ambitious move by Austin FC. This up-and-coming Argentinian player that um, that was, like you said, was being chased by some of these bigger South American clubs. Yeah, but to your point, I mean, that would still leave 
we've still got one DP left, but that almost forces us into like an attacking player, right? To do that. I mean, in order to have, we talk about this all the time, but there's still not a real clear position about where the goals are going to come from. And I think it still leaves us in the exact same place as we were before with this. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I think it means that with that last DP spot, it needs to be someone who is definitely going to score goals because yeah, it, I like a lot of these guys are going to get a few, but none of them have proven in their past to be a 10 to 15 goal a year type of player consistently anyway. Um, um, let's, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, let's, I said, let's go ahead and talk about um, what he and others might be wearing. The let's, We got it right this time. The Legends jersey came out Wednesday of last week. And did you read the Reddit reaction? Uh, I don't... I don't remember. Yeah, I think I did read the Reddit. I saw, mostly saw the Twitter comments, but I saw some. I think I did see some of the Reddit reactions as well. Yeah, they're they're all basically the same. A lot of people very disappointed in getting exactly what we thought we were gonna get. But I think we both have contrary opinions about that. Well, you want to share how you feel about it? Yeah, like I'm, I like I am a person who likes a simple, clean kit, and so some of my favorite jerseys in like in other leagues, like I usually like a, like a Chelsea kit. I like a Liverpool kit when they're just like solid red or solid blue with some white trim on it. I enjoy that kind of kit. And so we we kind of guessed exactly what this was going to look like, right? Like we said, plain white with some green trim on it. I was kind of hoping for maybe a little bit more of that green trim. Um, but I, yeah, I think there's a lot of people upset that it's not some like crazy, like in your face Jersey. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's just one of those polarizing things. Like people who like those kind of more out there kits are going to be very disappointed by this, but someone like myself who I I really like a clean, simple kit, I kind of dig it. And I think, I think I said this about the, the home Jersey, the first Jersey that came out. Although it's a simple design, that bright verde just is going to make it look really nice on the field. And you're going to turn on your TV and you're going to know exactly who it is. And so I think with that like really bright white and then the bright verde accents on it, I think it's going to look sharp. Yeah, I think it really pops. And it's just like with the original, with the with the home one, as I've seen people in them, like in pictures and stuff on social, like it's really grown on me. And um, I really love the neck tape. Like I love little the little detail with the little the Austin icons inside of that. Like I thought they did did a really good job of um, personalizing that to the city, even though there wasn't a lot of there's a lot not not a lot of discretion and stuff in the design. But they, like those little touches are cool, and I really I like I do love the way the Verde looks on the white. I think that that looks really nice. So I think it'll it'll be clean. It'll shine on TV. Um, it won't. It'll be good to wear when it's a million degrees outside. So it'll be a <laughs> yeah. nice comfortable jersey to have. So I'm looking forward to it. I wasn't planning on buying it or buying it originally, but I think I'm going to have to now. <laughs> what do you want to see the rest of that kit look like? Green shorts, white socks. I'm the opposite. I think I so? also another another thing I really like is when the sh- like the shorts and the top are the same color and there's like uniformity going down. So I would want to see white shorts with like green accents and numbers and then the green socks. You like that? What's what? so like some kind of green trim? On the I mean, shorts? there'll be there'll be numbers and then probably a logo on there. So and then maybe like a stripe down the side. I don't know. But what one of the things I kind of would have liked to see is to do the um, badge like in a white with green on the on the shirt too. Just to complete, I agree to fully complete that look. Yeah, if just like taking the like the black background from the badge and just making it white instead just to yeah. kind of, yeah, I think it would have fit in with the, with the aesthetic a little bit better, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an Adidas MLS Jersey and they did, they did kind of go out of their way in the press release to say that this is a one year Jersey. And so, whereas the, the original one might stick around for a couple of years, this one is going to last for a year and they're going to have a new one next season. So uh, for those of you who don't like it, maybe you'll take a little bit of solace in that fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be good. Um, another thing that we saw just a couple days ago is a big um, Austin Monthly cover story on the club. And including, it was not just a cover story, but it was like the cover and I think six or seven different stories, um, which is really pretty cool just to see general media attention around the club. Have you read it yet? And did you I find did, any highlights? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, 
It's very much, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording and it's very much an article for like people who aren't soccer fans who have like heard a little bit about Austin FC and don't really know what it's about. And it's just kind of like a crash course for those people, which is great. Like it's good that that kind of stuff is happening. I think uh, another, you've seen several examples of that in the media lately, right? So like KVU did this whole segment on Danny Pereira after the super draft. And so like, it's really cool that they're making an effort and not just doing bare minimum coverage of this team. They're going out of their way to do proper segments and uh, Austin monthly. It was the cover story and gave several pages to it. So I think it's really cool that, um, that they are giving this kind of airtime and space to, to the team. Yeah. And we should mention that Gabby Navarro uh, got her own photo uh, with the y'all means all scarf too. And she, that was cool to see sort Looking of Looking like a badass as always. Of course, yeah. Yeah, she, she looked very fierce. I just she was a good she was a good model for that. I don't think I, I have that kind of facial expression uh to give. <laughs> yeah, they covered uh talked about Reina and Wolf. Um they, there's also you you put this in the show notes. I don't think I would have thought to bring it up, but I'm glad you did. Uh they they did an interview with do you remember his name, what this actor's name was? Oh, I don't remember. So it was the guy that was, he was in the big green and Sandlot both, right? And I yeah. don't remember his name. The great Hambino in, in the Sandlot. But he's also in the big green and they interviewed him about the movie, The Big Green and kind of his experience making that movie. Because it, if you don't know, it was filmed uh, in in and around Austin. Um, but yeah, did you say you had never seen it, Jeremiah? I have never seen it. Is it set in Austin too? It's set in a small town in Texas. They don't really say where it is. And I don't think they ever say Austin, but they like, they like reference like going into the city to play like the city teams in soccer. And they, they shoot the soccer scenes in Zilker park. And so they do show like kind of the, the whatever year it was, 1992 skyline or whatever year it was made of Austin. And that's pretty funny to see. Uh, if you, if you look, if you've seen the skyline recently, the skyline in the big green is a very different thing <laughs> for sure. But um, we watched it with our nieces. I think it was like last year when they came to visit us. Um, it's it's not a very good movie. Uh, <laughs> it's like there are kid movies that hold up and that are like they're silly because they're kid movies, but they're very well made things. Um, the big green is not one of those. It seems like a very cheap and like kind of thrown together movie, but it is kind of fun. Uh, one interesting, like just kind of a funny connection I have to it is that movie came out when, do you remember what year it was? Jeremiah, did you see that in the article or no? It was in there, but I don't, I don't remember what year it was. So is the plot like a, is it like a bad news bears or like mighty ducks, like scrappy group of misfits? overcomes yeah. adversity to beat like the big city professional team or whatever. It's, is that basically the plot? Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 1995. So I would have been like eight or nine years old. And so when that came out, like everyone in my school were like, okay, we, we play soccer now. The thing is uh, I'm from a very small town in the Texas panhandle uh, where I would be surprised if there were any soccer balls in that entire town before the big green came out. Uh, the, no soccer teams. You couldn't even play soccer if you wanted to, like you might could have driven an hour to Lubbock and played for like a, like a peewee league type thing. But I think even the high schools there don't really take it very seriously. And so we were just kind of making it up. Like we just <laughs> like somebody brought, bought a ball and we were just like, kicking a ball around and nobody knew the rules. And I would, I would pay a lot of money to just like see some footage of us playing what we, what we thought was soccer it was big when time I was soccer. like nine years old. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Well, so all that to say, check out the Texas, check te Texas monthly, check out the Austin monthly, um, for February, 2021. Um, and, and buy that. And it is in the like paid magazine part. Cause I sent my wife to get it at HEB. And she thought it was going to be up front with like the Chronicle and oh, like the yeah. Auto Trader or whatever, and it's not. It's like it's like a real it's a real deal glossy magazine. Seems like a good uh, a good little souvenir to have though. I, I think I'll get one next time I go to the grocery store. Yep, available at all your finer HEBs for sure. <laughs> all right, I think that's all we have for this week, Jeremiah. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? No, I think we hit on it. Uh, Sam kind of hit on the big news, and we're really sort of in a holding pattern. I think. 
until we get a CBA um, for progress on Austin FC. So let's close it out. Yeah. One other thing that we do want to mention is uh, the the Striker Texas website is set to launch, I think, this week. We don't have an exact date on that, but it should be uh, launched this week. So again, I think this is this is something I'm really excited about and feel very honored that we get to be a part of it. But to all all of these writers that have been brought in to make um, to make this website happen and the kind of content that it's going to create, there's it, it, any of you listening to this know that like there it can feel like there's kind of a vacuum of of really good soccer content sometimes, not to the degree that American football or basketball get by any means. And so this is going to be a thing that's taking it as seriously as that, and just. Like like their their motto is every day is a soccer news day, right? So it's not just the big things. They're gonna be covering every bit of it and every level. So I think it's a thing that I'm really excited about. Um they've been doing the five big moments of of each team and they did a five big moments in Austin FC history. So you can find that on their social their social media pages. And then I believe it'll be an, in an article whenever the the site launches as well. Yeah, so look I, out I for right. that this week. And yeah, then, it's a cool looking. It's a cool looking site too. We've been we've gotten to see previews of it, and uh, oh yeah, we're gonna be publishing to it soon. I think. Yeah, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we also wanted to tell you if if you want to continue the the soccer conversation with Jeremiah and I, come find us on Twitter. We're on there all the time. We love talking about it. If you have questions or you want to tell us we did a bad job, whatever it is, come find us. We're uh, my my handle is lviahero87 and Jeremiah's is jbentley underscore atx. If you just type in our full names in the search bar, it'll pop up. Um, but yeah, we're always looking to connect with fans, talk about soccer, talk about Austin FC. And then also, if you want to tell us something you want to hear on the show or have questions you want to hear on the show, find us there and we'll be happy to talk about it. Next week, we are going to have an interview with Jordan Anke, who is the vice president of stadium operations for Austin FC. So we're going to get a behind the scenes look at some of the key features in Q2 Stadium and what fans can expect when it opens for business later this year. Until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around.